Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. Because I thought to myself, you know, I, I don't feel like it's worth opening my mouth um, while I can't speak their language that well, especially being like half Mexican myself. So I didn't want to let them down by opening my mouth and be like, oh, you're not, you're not very good at Spanish. So that was silly of me to do. Um, I shouldn't have done that because there, I come to meet many other gringo missionaries from the States that would just not know anything, but were so like kind and confident and just loud with their crazy, strong gringo accents. And the people <laughs> just love them. Welcome back to the Hereby Called podcast. My name is Jordan, and sitting across from me is Kyle Hustis. That's me. <laughs> Kyle, I am he. <laughs> Kyle's a good friend of mine. And um, what's funny is we were groomsmen for each other's weddings. We came home from our missions the same day, but I don't think we've seen each other in like five years. So I was actually thinking about that where it's funny because when you left on your mission, I remember being real sad and bummed out not knowing or knowing that I would not see you for two years. And then you get back and it's like this, you know, happiness and jubilance, if that's a word and whatnot. <laughs> and then, and then I just casually see you today and it's been like over twice as long <laughs> and it's like, Oh, Hey, what's up, man? Yeah. How are you? <laughs> so let's back up. What, what was the name of the mission you served in? It's called the, uh, the Mexico Hermosillo mission. And Let's go to that moment. I was there, but I won't, let's hear it from your eyes. You're, you're in your living room. You're surrounded by family and friends. You've waited. You've put in your papers. You waited weeks and months, maybe years. And finally, you have this paper that's going to change your life. What were your thoughts when you opened up your mission call? So I knew, and it was kind of, I, I understand, like, one shouldn't just, like, really, really hope to go to anywhere any one place specifically, but I knew that I really, really wanted to go somewhere to learn Spanish and that I would have loved to have gone to Mexico because both my parents went to Mexico and I, my mom's from Mexico herself. She moved B over. Both of them served missions in Mexico. Yeah. They both served missions in Mexico. Okay. They both served in missions in, in Mexico. My, my dad's from California. My mom is from Mexico and she moved here after. Um, but having growing up with a mom that primarily spoke Spanish and I having not learned any Spanish growing up, I'm like, what a wasted not a good listener. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what a wasted opportunity these 19 years of life had been not knowing Spanish. Uh, so opening up my call, I remember seeing Mexico Hermosillo Mission. I was super stoked out of my mind. I'm like, Mexico, it's Mexico. And here I am like imagining it to be like how a lot of people imagine Mexico, like green and tropical. And then we look on the map like, oh, it's right there. And then it's like, the size of the map was pretty big and you can probably put like two fingers in between like Mesa and Hermosillo. <laughs> like it was just right Southern, uh, right below the Southern border that stayed right below us. So even though it was close by, I was still super stoked about it. Um, and then a lot of people actually that I knew from our high school Mountain View ended up going to the same mission and some people from, from Taylor and, and Snowflake as well. So overall, just like a lot of Arizona guys went to, went to Sonora, went to, Mexico, Hermosillo. So Sonora is the state, but Hermosillo is the city. Nice. Yeah. So what was, what was your biggest concern going on your mission? What was there anything that you were worried about or kind of anxious about? 
So I think leaving would have been a lot less emotional had I not had a girlfriend that I dated in high school. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that I did end up marrying. We have one lovely child expecting a second. So there's that. And that's great. Yeah. But it was definitely like, you know, uh, me and Michaela dated throughout most of, uh, yeah, just about all of high school. Basically, once once you legally turn 16, the dating is on. <laughs> Basically. And then it was kind of like a back and forth and we have, but luckily for us, like made it, uh, we made it through. She didn't write me off or anything. And funny enough, most of the missionaries that I met in the MTC that had girlfriends that were waiting for them, they actually all waited. Nice. Yeah. Even some of the, most of the companions that I was with, um, throughout their missions, their girlfriends waited too, and they have kids and stuff. So it was kind of interesting. So your concern was whether she'd wait or not. So my concern was just leaving. I knew that she was going to wait. That's the funny thing. I just knew I was going to really miss her and her family because her family was like, um, they were very much at that point, just an extension of my own family, even though we were just dating. Um, you know, my home life wasn't always the best. So they actually taught me a lot of stuff from since when I started dating Michaela, their daughter, especially her mom, they kind of really took me in and taught me a lot of great stuff. And I was just knew I was going to miss all them. And, and all that. Gotcha. Some, so kind of some homesickness and the, yeah. influential people in your life. Right. Right. So, but in terms of like the mission itself, even though I probably looking back in retrospect, I should have been more concerned about like, how am I going to teach this? How am I going to teach this, let alone in another language? I was just excited to learn the other language. Again, that was just kind of like my, uh, me being more happily naive and, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, loving you know, uh, dwelling in my bliss of just going on the mission. So let, let's go to that moment. You're, you go to the Provo MTC. I know that cause I saw you there. We took a picture <laughs> and you fly down to Mexico and you're in your mission and now you're trying to speak Spanish. <sighs> What's it like trying to speak Spanish to people where you may not know the language? Well, it sucks so <laughs> bad. It's, and I know probably everyone that's told you that goes to a foreign language uh, speaking mission, tells you it sucks, but it's awful. Like, and I, I was one to come in like kind of having a good base because I feel like the MTC actually prepared us pretty well. And then I already had kind of a little bit of that background of, of learning from, from my mom. But I remember getting there and being with my first companion who was from uh, Mexico City, um, Elder Rivas. And uh, he was a really great first companion to have. But I remember that first lesson we had with just like, found someone on the street, some old lady. And my companion just dressed me into it. It was like, okay, you're going to, you're going to give her the invitation. You're going to invite her to be baptized. I'm like, it's like, I only said, understood. No, no point. Yeah. I'm like, I only understood half of what you said, but I'm pretty sure I don't want to do whatever it is <laughs> you want me to do. And, uh, I remember they're teaching the lesson and then he looks at me. Um, this is my very first day in Sonora. He looks at me. It's like my first hour in Sonora, actually. Uh, he's doing most of the lesson. He looks over at me to give the invitation I do my best job just to get through it the best that I could. She immediately looks at my companion and is like, oh, what did he say? And like, he just invited you to be baptized. What do you say? And she's like, yeah. Nice. <laughs> and it gave me a bunch of confidence. Uh, little did I know <laughs> um, most of the people that you come across will, at least in Mexico, except baptism. will accept baptism right off the bat. But that's not, that's like 1% of the work, you know? So you end up teaching the rest of the lessons and trying to get them to go and whatnot. And that's where they really have to follow through. But I mean, I did it and I felt great about having gotten over it. But in terms of just like that first six to eight months of trying to learn, especially that first like day, like I knew I was in it for the long haul. Like 
I knew it was just going to be, it's going to be a grind, just grind and just, just embarrassment and humiliation. So speaking of embarrassment and humiliation, are there, are yeah. there any like notable occurrences where you might've said a word that you just stumbled on or, or didn't say the right word in the right moment? I feel like that was like just 80% of my dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> like I was always saying the wrong words. And the funny thing is I had this really bad misconception. I don't know if other return missionaries can, can, um, can relate to this, but I had this silly misconception that people were only going to like me according to how well I was able to speak the language, which is silly because of course the people are going to love you just for who you are, your personality, for you trying, for you showing that you love them and whatnot. And that's something that I, I wish I would have figured out sooner because I remember being silent for so much of the dialogue between the members or the investigators, because I thought to myself, you know, I, I don't feel like it's worth opening my mouth. Um, while I can't speak their language that well, you know, what's the point if they're not going to understand me? What's the, you know, they're, they're just going to make fun of me, you know, especially being like half Mexican myself. I always kind of was insecure about the fact that I think they, I would go up to people and I believe that they would already expect for me to know the language. Great. So I didn't want to let them down by opening my mouth and be like, Oh, you're not, you're not very good at Spanish. So that was silly of me to do. Um, I shouldn't have done that because there, I come to meet many other gringo missionaries from the States that would just not know anything, but were so like kind and confident and just loud with their crazy strong gringo accents and the people <laughs> just love them. So, um, that's something that I wish I would have, I would have embraced earlier, but again, it was just like that embarrassment. Like I didn't want to just embarrass myself all the time, but that's just how you get from point A to point B language wise. Interesting. Yeah. And that reminds me of it's like a fact that like 70% of communication is just body language. Right. And just your presence, not even the words you speak. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were in Sonora. Mm -hmm. Tell us about a Sonoran hot dog. Dude. We, we got to go food a little bit here. A little tangent. I, I can't think about it too much. Um, I've been home for what? We've been home for like over six years. Yeah. Yeah. A little, yeah. Like six and a half years to this day. And I say this all the time to like my coworkers and my family, my family is kind of tired of hearing it, but to this day <laughs> I get, I'm just, I've never had food, not once nearly as good as just about anything I would have on the street in Mexico. Like not even once. What, what kind of food are we talking? We're, we're, and we're talking the greatest food. You can talk to all these other missionaries that served in maybe Southern Mexico, Central South America, you know, whatever. I'm sure it wasn't as good. You <laughs> got the best food ever in Mexico and in Northern Mexico because in Northern Mexico, you get all the food that you're accustomed to in the United States. You get the tacos and the you burritos. Get, but not only that, you get the flour tortillas and you get the carne asada. In the rest of Mexico, you don't get flour tortilla. You don't get carne asada. You get good food, but it's all like corn tortilla and they have their own little swing on things. You know, like in the, in the United States. Yeah. But you, in the food that you're used to in, in America, where we live, that's all influenced by Northern Mexico. So I got the best flour tortillas and I got the best carne asada and I got the best hot dogs, which you could argue, obviously that's like more from the United States over to Mexico, yeah. but they prepare it like no one else. And I've tried snoring hot dogs everywhere in Arizona and I can't find one that's not nearly as good. It's a soft steamed bun. I don't know where they get the bun because it's always so soft. It's not soft. a hot dog bun. It's, it's a not a hot dog yeah. bun. It's like a, it's like a potato bun. You know, it's like a really, you know, if you ever go to like Shake Shack. Like a thicker, softer. Like a, yeah, that kind of like really bends real nice and just really <laughs> soft. They steam it 
they fill it with like two or three smaller hot dogs that are wrapped in bacon. So it's not like sometimes, most of the time, it's not one full hot dog. There's multiple hot dogs. Yeah, there's like three tiny hot dogs and they wrap them in bacon. And when you see them stuff the hot dog in the bun, it's like it's not visible anymore. It's just like the very bottom. The rest of the space is used to fill it with everything else it needs, like the salsa and the beans and the cheese and the guac and uh, some more cheese. And then they give it to you and that's not all, or, and some mayo on top. And then they give it to you and then they have like a whole spread of other stuff that you can add onto it. So you can add more bacon bits or chorizo and another thing of nacho cheese. And you just keep adding onto it and you can barely fit it in your <laughs> mouth, but it's so good. My mouth is watering. <laughs> You'll never have anything like it. It's, but yeah, I can't think about it or I'll get depressed. There's nowhere in the U.S., nowhere in Arizona. There's got to be somewhere in Arizona. Some people have told me that uh, I think Mickey's might come close, but I haven't been. And and I'm like, um, (laughs) do you ever follow uh, Dave Portnoy from Barstool? No. It's kind of a random, but he does a lot of pizza reviews. That's what he's kind of known for okay. is going around the country and doing pizza reviews. I want to do that with carne asada tacos because I am such a huge critic of them. I'm never satisfied with any of them here. And I feel like I would have the palate to justify that. I want to go around everywhere in the country and try all the carne asada tacos. And he always rates like really great pizza places real low. Like, oh, this is a seven. This is a 6.5. This is a 7.2. Uh-huh. That's basically where I'm at. I've never had anywhere close to maybe like a seven or eight in the States. But every time I go, or I had the carne asada tacos in Hermosillo or, or something like that, 9.5 probably every Dang. time. I know. There's some passion here. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to be more passionate about the food than it was about the mission. So getting back to, we kind of talked about the language and, and, and the food, but tell us like what, what were some of the traditions of the people in Mexico that were, were new to you? Or were they new to you? Because... <sighs> Yeah, no, they were new. Um, Cinco de Mayo is not a thing in Mexico. Um, their Independence Day is September 15th. And that's like their big, like, 4th of July celebration. And that was really cool to see. They had, like, fun parties. And they, like, put, like, all this face paint with the uh, the red, red, white, and green, you know, like, their uh-huh. their flag colors. Um, so I really enjoyed seeing that every year. They really get into it. I remember sending home a bunch of pictures. of They would always have, like, the ward parties. And they'd have people dancing and stuff. And People are eating all this good food. So the good thing about Mexico is just about everything is celebrated with really good food. So, man, I I think that was like top tier. Like that was like the tender mercies. Was the food. Was the food. Anytime I'm having like a bad day, oh, I'm just going to talk about the food the whole time. Well, okay. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe every time you're having a bad day. I would literally, the best thing I could possibly do was just sit next to like a little, uh, like a side uh, what what are they called? Just like a, little carts on the side, little carts on the side yeah. of the road, and just sit down like a pan, and just eat something, just take a moment. Oh, that was gold. Just cry about it. Just cry, <laughs> cry tears of joy. So okay, then let's go the other way. You've had a lot of great food. What was the worst food you had? The stuff that kind of was, and I know that every missionary that served in Mexico will say this: the menudo. You ever heard of that? It's yeah. basically just in, uh, the an, common. Yeah, it's just like intestine. So it's like really soft and gamey and it's like full of like fat. So it's like, it's like when you eat a steak and you just have like, like a gamey fat around it that you just don't really care about eating because it's chewy and not that great. It's just like a bowl full of that mm. and like, in like, uh, and like soup, it just didn't taste like anything and it was just chewy. And so the consistency was weird and you'll go to basically any sister uh, and tell her, she'll ask you, you know, what food do you not like? You know, cause they feed you just about every day. And you'll say, well, I don't really like menudo. Um, menudo. And they'll say like, oh, it's because the other 
sisters, the other people, whoever made it for you before doesn't know how to prepare it well. They all say the same thing. Guess what? It all tastes the same. (laughs) (laughs) The truth comes out. But as a missionary, you would never say that. No. No, I, I'd be like, yeah, which, so you'd always be like, oh, I'll prepare it for you. There's, uh, I'm sure that the, the, whoever uh, made it for you before doesn't know how to make it that well. Like, okay, yeah, let's try it. Always tastes the same. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fighting words. <laughs> so what, when, when was a time you felt like you were protected by the Lord? You know, getting set up at gunpoint is not common in Mexico. Um, and usually, you know, you follow the mission rules and you be safe about it and you'll be fine. But unfortunately I had a few companions that like did not make the wisest decisions or were just not using like their critical thinking, you know, at certain times of the day. So the first time I got held up at gunpoint, I was in a town called Magdalena, which is just South of Nogales, really small town. They don't have missionaries there anymore. Um, and we were walking down an alley in the dark to, towards our house. Cause it's very rural. Most of the alleys are, is, um, are dark. We had just gotten our monthly, um, I don't know what's called in English, but allotment. Allotment. Yeah. Okay. Um, from the ATM and we're just walking home. My companion has his phone out and it's not like the greatest phone. They're just little cheap Nokia phones. And then this guy walks up to us and he pulls out a pistol and he points it at us and he's like, give me your phone. And it, my companions, you know, intelligently just hands it over to him. And then he's like, okay, now give me all your money. And then me responding mostly unintelligently, I say, oh, we have none, even though we just walked out of the the ATM. ATM and gotten our, our, what's it called in English again? Sorry. The allotment. The allotment. Just your monthly allowance. Just our monthly yeah. allowance. It was in my pocket. I'm like, oh, we don't have any. He's like, oh no, you got to give it to me. I'm like, we're missionaries. And for some reason, that's like always a good excuse to give people that you want to have them leave you alone. Like, oh, we're missionaries. We don't have anything. And my companion's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, go, go, go. And so we just like walk away and we're just silent. Just like all I could hear was like our footsteps, like on like the dirt road. We're just like, I can't believe that just happened. It's like, I can't believe that either. And I don't, it's like that weird moment. Like you don't feel like if you want to like, like break down and cry just because you're held at gunpoint or pointed at you or, or what. And so we walked to a member's house, like, oh, we just got held up at gunpoint. They took our phone. Can we call the president? And my companion's from Mexico. So he, at this point, I still don't know Spanish all that well. So we talked to the president and then uh, we end up having a zone conference later that week. And he's basically like, my, my uh, president was pretty upset with my companion for even talking on the phone in the middle of the night. And like, mm. yeah, so he, I didn't really think that at the time, honestly thought we were going to be okay. Cause we weren't that far away from our house, but just us being in a dark alley, him talking on the phone just wasn't the smartest thing to do. Um, but it's funny that you asked because, there have been multiple times where I'm like walking through a dangerous part of town or like, I remember like walking down a a railroad and people be like, Hey, get down from there. Like they're going to start shooting like any minute now. Cause I guess they was just a common thing to just like shoot guns at each other next to the railroad or just like down like a really, really just sketchy part of Mexico in the middle of the night. And obviously not in the middle of the night, but I, but I mean like, you know, before going home, it's getting dark and how, just protected. I always felt like knowing that I was a missionary, I, I look back and like, there is no way in heck that I would ever walk down those things with three or four people, let alone one person. If I wasn't a missionary, um, even Magdalena would be such a rough place to live. You know, if you took all the precautions in the world, but for some reason, when you have like that name tag, 
it's like you feel invincible. And it's kind of like that, that same feeling when you go home, like, Hey, let's go back and visit Magdalena. My family's like, no way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's like, seriously, like it's, it's very much like, I, I know that there was like some divine intervention in that moment. There's no way that some guy that wants to get your money is just going to be like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to let them go. Or I'm just going to, Hey, just, just go away now. Now that you said that you're missionaries, you know, if it wasn't for something else that, you know, obviously is, is protecting you. Yeah. And just to follow up, if you're a missionary or going on a mission and someone's going to rob you for your money, just give them the yeah, money. Yeah. Just give them the money. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do what I did. <laughs> so, but, but you're talking about kind of the difference between the, the U S and Mexico. How has serving in Mexico changed your perspective of, of the U S? Well, you know, it, it, it just gives you a little bit of perspective of how lucky we are to be in this country. Not to say that they're in a country that they can't get as much happiness or as much blessings from the gospel, but the opportunities, unfortunately, aren't there, you know, socioeconomically and, you know, and they know it. And that's just, that's just it. Um, there's actually, so this, this, um, this other missionary uh, friend that I had from Honduras, I remember he was serving in Nogales. And I guess there's a, there's a zone that you're allowed to cross into the United States legally, even if you don't have like a passport or anything. I, I didn't know exactly what he was talking about, but I guess he was able to cross in the United States with like maybe like border patrol or something just so you can stand there and so you, say that you were in the United States. Right. Okay. Yeah. And he told me that like, he was standing there and he was just like, wow, like I'm in the United States right now. Like my feet are on the ground of the United States. And to someone like that growing up in Honduras, it meant something, it meant something to him. It, it, It really goes to show like what the other countries think of the United States and rightfully so. Like we are so blessed in this country. It really puts into perspective, you know, how great we do have it. And for that same reason, it was hard for me to say that I was really proud to be here. Because in a weird way, um, I was with. Did this, you feel guilty? In in a weird way, it was almost. It would be, it would be like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It would be very pompous of me to say that, you know. It oh, would, like I'm from America, right? Or, exactly. And I, I've heard that the just saying the term "I'm an American" can be offensive towards people yes. that are also from Central America. Like it's a continent. It's not a nation. So you know? it just depends on who you're talking to. They'll say like, oh, you're an American. And some people just call you that. And then people will be like, I don't like when people say that you're an American because we're all from America, North America, Central America, South America. We're all Americans. To which I would just agree. Like, yeah, yeah, no. I understand that. Yeah, because I'm not going to disagree. Uh, so it just depends on who you're talking to. So speaking of the Mexican people, what, what were some lessons that you learned from the members there? Gosh, man, some of them were so, they were just happy. You know, there'd be some, some places that I would go to. There's some, obviously some very well off and some people that are not very well off. And I think just like their spirit and just like their, their, their unwavering desire to work, which is something to, to, um, to aspire in. There would be some homes in in Magdalena and, and other places where, um, members of like, the the bishopric even would live in these just tiny little hut homes that are just falling apart. And they just had the best attitudes ever. Like they were always just so smiling and just so just happy to be a member in, in Mexico. What the fortunate thing about the gospel in Mexico is that if you're a member of the church, it becomes kind of part of your social life. It becomes just about 
and I would argue more than the United States because the United States, you usually deep rooted in your family and your social life can kind of go every which way. But I'm talking like, if you're a member of the church, you have your every single day worth of daily activities, whether it be sports or hanging out with your friends or, or any kind of just like uh, outdoors thing is associated with whatever that ward or that branch is doing. So it's like indoctrinated, like you're going to do your very social, very social. You're going to go to the, to the capilla. You're going to go to the church building for just about everything you do. Um, and that was really fortunate as a missionary being a missionary as well, because they just, they adopt the missionaries. Like you become part of their family, which is a great thing about, about being there because they just expect you to be there with them everywhere. Like you go to their houses every day, you go to the church with them every day you just become like part of them, which was also, I thought was a really great thing about serving in Mexico. And I don't really see it so much in Arizona, uh, maybe probably in a lot of other States, it's, it's just as much like that, but in Mexico in general, they're just like, that's your social life is being in the church. Yeah. Interesting. So going back to the people who are, who are some of the people that influenced you during your service and like, what was it that they said or did that had an impact on you? Some people, well, my mission president had an impact on me. Um, he was from Uruguay. So he was very much, he was oh, a more, he's definitely a fish out of water more than even I was being from like, a, like Uruguay is like next to Argentina and all of them. So it's very South, South American country. So, I mean, we know a lot about Mexico just from living where we do in Arizona, but he knows nothing of Mexico at all. And he speaks very different Spanish. So he seemed definitely more kind of just like an alien in that country more than anyone. But he was so inspiring. I remember him starting the mission um, and him being honest about him not wanting to be a mission president because he's old and he has older grandkids. Like it's kind of like the last thing that he wanted to do was to be a mission president with his wife. He just wanted to be home and kind of retired and all that. Um, but I, I saw him grow and that was inspiring to me because if my mission president can kind of get into this and be uncomfortable and then rise up to be actually a good president, then I know that I can, that I can do the same as a missionary. Um, it was because he had never served a mission. I, I, I don't oh, know wow. if he was in the military or anything like that, but his wife had, or the president's president's wife had served a mission. So she would be the one to kind of share more of like doctrinal points where he would be as where he would be sharing more of like rules, like we got to obey the rules. we got to obey the rules, which got old, but he doesn't really know any better in his first like six months of being a mission to president. He, he just thinks that he has to enforce rules. But really, we really wanted him to share like doctrinal points and values and lessons and stuff that would get us inspired. Um, but it was nice to see him grow and really help us out after a while. And then, uh, you know, so many, of the, I can talk about so many of my companions that, that inspired me, but I will say, if there was a trial for me personally in my mission, it was the fact that I had a lot of really, really hard companions. And I don't want to just say that like, oh, Kyle or Elder Hustis, like everyone has hard companions, but there'd be multiple missionaries that come up to me. It's like, you just got like the short end of the stick <laughs> in regards to your companions. I feel like if I love the work, I feel like the work became pretty smooth and easy and I was able to do it well. If I just had a few more companions that I could just get along or, or could work with me or were just not so just like hard personalities in general, then it would have just made it so much more enjoyable. But I know that all in all, I know why they're with me. It's because 
I needed them as much as they needed me in terms of they needed someone like me that could that would be more understanding that wouldn't lash out on them, that wouldn't call them out for all of their stuff, you know, because that's basically they're frustrated with themselves and with the mission. And I needed to learn more patience, which is definitely something that they ended up teaching me day in and day out as I tried to just be patient and patient and patient and with them. And I'm sure a few times they needed to be patient with me, but you know, that, that made it difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about your mission president and the miracle of watching him change and grow as a person. And then also kind of yourself and your companions. What, what were some other miracles you're able to witness on your mission? You know, the, the mission, there's only really one point where I, where I can really see something that I can consider miraculous in someone's life. Cause the mission day in and day out, it's just a lot of it's just kind of a grind where you can feel the spirit consistently, but going, coming back home and after all these years, I can hardly remember what huge moments like stood out to me like crazy, like they did at the time when they were happening. All I can remember is like how I felt, especially when I'm in like a, when I have a spiritual experience now, for example, like these past few Sundays we're having home at church and stuff like that. And I feel the spirit. It reminds me like, Oh, this reminds me of how I felt on my mission. Um, but there was one time and I, and I, and I think it was the whole reason I was, I was on my mission. I was in Rocky point, which was an amazing place to be, be by the way. And, um, there were some, uh, investigators, well, their family remembers, but they, had never got the lessons before because my companion from the Dominican Republic had assumed that they were already members and he had already been there for six weeks. All it took was me asking, he's like, are you guys members? And they're like, oh no, we're not members. And my companion, like, but they're just like, attending yeah. church and all this. Well, they're just like there all the time. And my companion's like, what, what you're not? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like been there for a transfer. Oh, let's, yeah, let's start teaching you guys. They're like, oh no, we just, nah, no way. <laughs> and so we end up teaching them and they're like every missionary's dream investigator, dream person to teach. Like they're just like, as you're teaching them, you don't feel like you're teaching any more special than you normally are. You're just kind of teaching how you feel you should. And they're just, oh, oh, re- oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. And they're, and they're complying with all of the promises that they keep. They're reading because you're inviting them to read and you're inviting them to pray and they're doing it and you're, they're coming back and like, yeah. And then so she comes she comes to us or we go to her house the next day after teaching her a lesson. And I remember specifically telling her, um, you know, obviously in Spanish, but I remember telling her like, what are you waiting for? I remember those words coming out of my mouth. Like there's nothing that you should be waiting on or what are you waiting for? And then the next day she said she had this dream the night before that she had been visited by what I could tell was an angel, like a person dressed in white in a robe and had a font behind him kind of leading her leading or showing the way with his hand saying, what are you waiting for? And she's like in tears, like she's like sobbing as she's like sharing the story. I'm like holding onto my seat, like, Oh my gosh, it's happening. Like this is happening right now. And like, it's a story that you can only like, that you only, that you only like hear in like the Leah Hona or the Enzyme or like crazy, like, (laughs) at the time, like mormon.org. That's the same question you had asked her. Yeah. It was the same question that I'd asked her. Like, what are you waiting for? And she's just like in tears, like, yeah. Like, what are you waiting for? And she's like, I know I have to be baptized. And we're just like, okay. 
sobres, sobres meaning, yeah, okay, let's do it. Um, so she was baptized and then shortly after, oh, her husband was just so awesome. He was, so I actually saw them again when we visited you Rocky Point. Back, yeah. Yeah. When we went back to Rocky Point, they were like the people I was looking forward to seeing the most. Um, and then her husband got baptized like a month or a month and a half later. And they're just doing so good. Like they both have great callings. They both have great kids. They're both just meant to be members and just enjoying of the gospel and have that in their lives. And because again, that they have this in their lives, they get to enjoy more of like the social aspect of it, the callings and the, and the group and the community and all of the friends within it and all of the activities. So really it's just like a life changer. You know, it's crazy. And now that I remember it is we went back to Rocky point. Yeah. After our missions. Yes. And we went to that ward. Yes. And that ward was awesome. Dude. Now, and now that was technically a branch. And that, that was, was a branch. A, and that was a, that was a huge branch. It was a huge branch. And it was an amazing area. And I like, this is a branch. And they're just like, they have everything so cleanly organized. All the people are there are super friendly. When I was living in Rocky Point, it was nice because white people would see us and they'd be like, missionaries, hey, and they'd give us money or take us to their condos to have dinner. <laughs> it was prime place to serve a mission. Yeah. So, so for anyone listening that's unfamiliar, Rocky Point is a popular vacation destination for a lot of people in Arizona. And it's just up Baja, California. There's this little peak of where the water comes in. It's only like a four-hour drive from Phoenix. Or is it four or five hours? Yeah, it's it's, it's like, closer than San Diego and like the yeah, California coast. It's actually. the closest beach to us yeah. in Arizona. But that was by far my, my favorite area was Rocky Point. So kind of wrapping up, I got, I got a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. What about mission life do you miss the most? Mission life. You know, mission life, mission life's a hard life, but it's a very rewarding life. And there's so much that I've contemplated to this day about mission life that has served me um, in present day. And I know that's a pretty cliche thing for, for me to say, but I'll, I'll just give like my train of thought. I have this, this thinking just about every week. Um, in high school, I had a lot of growing up and I had a lot of trials as us all. And so um, in high school, it was all about kind of doing sports. And in sports, it was a really challenging thing because it was the same kind of thing that we have to do every single day, in and out, grind, get mentally exhausted, but know that at the end of the season or at the end of whatever point, you're that much better and you've done it. It's more of the pride and the, and the feeling of satisfaction that you've done something hard in your life. And then it goes translated to a mission. As soon as I was on the mission, I was living that life day in and day out, working hard, saying a lot of great things and seeing a lot of not so great things, um, having those challenges, having those trials. At the end of it, it was the same feeling of satisfaction that I knew that had to come from serving a mission. Because serving a mission serves to know that you can do hard things, that you can help other people. But in doing so, the greatest reward you can get in your own life is knowing that you worked to accomplish something difficult, which is basically a metaphor on life itself. And is basically what we believe in as in general in order to, to reach the highest um, level of reward that we would like to have, which is living with Heavenly Father again. We need to put in the work and knowing that we did something hard. So that two years is like another metaphor on that. And that translated definitely to coming home and then getting married and then especially getting this new uh, nursing ICU job. The first year of being a brand new ICU nurse, I couldn't have thought more of my mission if I tried because it felt exactly the same. Me being lost, not understanding anybody, um, 
just feeling embarrassed all the time, humiliated. And then this thing called the coronavirus happened. And then the coronavirus happened and then just more stacked up on top of that. But the mission serves a great purpose because it shows that you can overcome hard things. And I think that's where I've, where I've taken out more than anything. Um, the lesson that I was able to take in the mission was that if you don't have those prior experiences in your life to show that you are able to do it, it just makes it a mental war with yourself that you might not be able to get through things in the future, which isn't true, but heavenly father just wants you to realize that you can do it because that's just what life's going to be. You think you're going to get over such step and that all oh, my life is going to be easy, which is never going to happen, but you know, you're going to find joy in the journey working hard to get through this step right now. So when heavenly father says that he wants us to, um, that this life may be that we have joy, it does not mean that we will also be constantly working. So that, I think that was the biggest blessing because I reference it all the time in my mind, especially when I'm like at my wit's end with work and with stresses and with things, because I knew that I could do it before. And I knew that I did it before doing the most important, the work in the world, which was doing his work. But now I could argue that I'm, you know, even after the mission, you can argue that you're, that continues on because you want to do that most important work in the world in a more intimate setting with your family. You want your family to be raised with this gospel. You want your own family to have that salvation, which is essentially what we're offering. So that was a good, that was the good mission life and how it translated over. That's quite the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got two more questions. Okay. How did your relationship with the savior change during your service? When I was in the MTC, I remember, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm glad I didn't just like look over a bunch of stories because I knew that I was going to have too many stories come to my head. As And then you wouldn't know what to talk about. <laughs> yeah. so, so we got you fresh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching the movie. I don't remember what it's called. The one about. There's like five approved movies. So I know. We'll find out. The one where it's about. Um, the Testaments? The Testaments. <laughs> exactly. You said the, and I knew what it was. <laughs> and then that scene at the end where um, where yeah. Christ comes to the people in America's and he's looking at like the face, he's looking at the camera, but he's like looking yeah. at your own face. And I remember just like bawling. Like I remember just feeling the spirit so strong. Um, and it gave me a real, the mission really put the puzzle pieces together. So you go to church growing up or you don't if you're a convert, but basically like you go to church and you learn certain things and you go through the motions and you hear certain stories, but the mission really put those puzzle pieces together in terms of like, Oh, something that I feel like I probably should have known before going, but Oh, like it all started to connect more like Jesus Christ and his atonement, especially the most important um, aspect of doctrine on the face of the earth and how important that was to our lives individually and how it wasn't just about him suffering and dying, if not suffering the most amount that one could ever suffer just out of love and out of not even a guarantee that it would not be in vain, but just because he wanted to give us the opportunity to live with him and Heavenly Father again, um, which gives, in essence, just a purpose in life, which a lot of people, are, are especially nowadays, are looking to have as a purpose in life, especially with every single thing that's going on, whether it be political, whether it be um, personal, you know, we all have these huge trials, but one of the greatest gifts that we have is just knowledge and knowledge that that happened. And so in, 
in terms of my uh, relationship with our Savior, it just gave me a huge appreciation to the fact that to to the point where um, there was actually a speaker um, who at, at my mission who actually said that I have I respect Christ so much and I appreciate so much what He's done that I don't even I don't feel comfortable with even calling him my brother because it puts him almost at my level. And that was just his like subjective view on it. It's like, I don't want him to be at my level. He is such at a higher level than myself because of his love, because of what he's done um, for me and for every person on the face of the earth. I just held him at such a higher regard. And that's his own way of kind of, of looking at him. But I know that Christ is so loving that he wouldn't mind us looking at him that way. But I understand his point is just that level of, intensity when it came to my appreciation just skyrocketed yeah i love that that's beautiful that you talked about like there's all these stories that you've heard about growing up and they're pieces of a puzzle but this puzzle reveals that god loves you and that he sent his son right and it's all for you like these stories like what does that have to do it's like no like this is a metaphor about how christ loves you right yeah so kyle wrapping up would you would you mind sharing your testimony and Spanish. I'm a Spanish. It's been a long time. Um, I feel like if anything, I was good at, I say I feel a lot, but it's true. I feel um, that I was able to get the testimony part squared away great as every missionary does. Um, but I tried to always like try to expand it to be where I'm not just having a missionary language. But that, that being said, see if I can even pull up <laughs> a testimony anymore. Uh, oh gosh, I'm going to hear myself talk too. It's like my gringo accent's going to come out. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do this. Okay. You know, what's funny just real quick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everyone that serves foreign stresses about bearing their testimony and it being clear and perfect. See, I'm doing it again. Everyone does. Yeah. I'm, do I'm, t I'm doing the exact same thing that I told you that I didn't need to do at the beginning of my mission, which worry about how the words came out. Yeah, that's right. You're here and you're expressing your love anyways. So let's just All right. get a little something. All right. Uh, yo sé que Jesucristo vive y que nos ama um, claramente. Y sé que nuestro Padre Celestial envió a su Hijo Jesucristo para salvarnos, sino también para ayudarnos a que podamos pasar cada día con fe y con una, una sabiduría, sabiduría más que podemos lograr lo que lo que queremos especialmente si es, está concentrado en algo bueno como la meta que tenemos de llegar a, a conocer y a vivir con Jesucristo y su padre otra vez porque nos ama tanto y, y puso el camino para que podamos lograr esa met, esa meta tan grande y sé que me ama porque me dio una familia muy buena una familia que me ayude cada día que pueda lograr esa meta de vivir con él, vivir juntos con ellos para siempre. Y eso, y eso les comparto en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amén. Amén. Kyle, thanks again for coming on. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Ra wrapping up, we, we understand the excitement from discovering a good podcast, especially with everything that's going on in the world that, Kyle had mentioned we got the coronavirus, we got these riots, we got political tension, and, and even these, these sad human trafficking stories. There's a lot of sad and bad news, 
But if you've enjoyed these stories from the Hereby Called podcast like we have, please share with a friend and uh, like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And until then, uh, check us out on herebycalled.com and we'll post this on Sunday. All right. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Bye. Bye.